Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on what is now our 30th episode. Finally reached it to 30. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So today you are joined by your hosts, as always, Tiara and Jack. And as you would have just heard from that massive (laughs) woohoo, we've also got Alan Mayo in the house. Literally, Alan is here at Jack's house today. So um, we thought we'd take advantage of this and record a podcast with Alan because Alan is currently nine and a half weeks out from his first show of the season, which is super exciting. So Today we've basically got a prep roundtable planned, so what we're going to be doing is talking about everything comp prep start to finish. Yeah, so we'll be discussing the beginning of a prep, the prep itself, and post prep as well. So when I say beginning of a prep, I mean what preparation we'll be doing before we actually start the main diet. So before we get into all the great listener questions and uh, our other discussions, we'll get Alan to say a word on what he's currently doing at the moment and how his prep's currently going. Thank you very much for the introduction, guys. And first of all, congratulations on 30th episode. And, you know, thank you much for having me um, back on the podcast. And I think it'd be really awesome to obviously chat about prep and stuff. You know, see so you guys doing so well, having clients competing. I have clients competing as well, so we can have some really good discussion. Um, yeah, so with myself, uh, I'm currently nine and a half weeks out from my first plan show of the season, which would be the ICN Western Australia show. So I've been living in... Perth for the last year or so um, and yeah and I got a few clients doing the WA show and a few clients doing the Queensland show as well and then we're probably going to all head down to nationals and this would be my fourth se- competitive season uh, so far and so I look forward to it so yeah mm, awesome and how are you finding things this prep as opposed to pre- previous preps has anything changed yeah I think um, like like, obviously, for the most part, you know, the nutrition training side of things, there's been some small tweaks here and there, but fundamentally, it's basically the same. But I think one thing that have I have noticed, and obviously, this is through personal experience and obviously working through clients as well, my mindset uh, has been a lot better this time around. And I think the biggest thing is that I used to be, like, just stressing about prep mm. all the time from, like, start to finish. And all I think about is prep. Uh, with this time around and obviously through the experience the last couple of years where um, I'm more focusing on like other aspects of my life and then because I know you know exactly what I have to do I just tick off the boxes each day yeah. and then actually I'm not thinking too much about it so it was just like the other day I was just telling Jack like oh I, I didn't even feel like it's like nine and a half weeks out like, like obviously you know the body is feeling it you, you notice the training changes and you know how you're looking and things like that of course but I think mindset-wise, I think I've been a lot more relaxed and sleep has been better but just because I'm not as stressed about it at this point. Uh, like, it might change later on, as you know, as you get more, deep, like, as you get deeper into prep, you get more consumed by the prep, you know, and then yeah. everything's about that. So, but we'll see, like, so far it's been really good and I think part of it's, you know, obviously experience and I think, uh, and obviously part of it's just seeing how other people do it as well. But um, yeah, so it's been great so far, but so we'll see, excited to see, you know, what kind of changes we can bring to the, to the stage this year. I think it's super refreshing to hear you say that, that, you know, with time and years of doing this, that you won't be thinking about prep every single day and it really will become easier and become part of our li- your lifestyle because last year when Jack and I competed for the first time, 
I can certainly speak on behalf of myself. I was thinking about prep every single minute of every day. I was dreaming about prep, you know, like it was just <laughs> counting down the days. But I, I can't wait until the day to experience something like you are now, you yeah. know, and have a much more relaxed mm. approach, but still a very successful approach. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I'm very fortunate. And I think you guys will start to experience this, like for your next prep as well, is that because like obviously part of what we do is to help people guide them through the contest prep right mm. and on a daily basis or weekly basis we do the check-in and stuff you constantly tell them it's like oh you don't have to stress about it and you, you know everything's gonna come together so when you are so used to telling other people to do that so part of me it's like okay that becomes like okay what i have to do you know yeah. and, 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 and again you know with experience like you know what you need to do to create energy deficit and everything else that you need, mm. uh, and yeah, and, and I guess part of me probably want to be like, I want to set an example of like, you know, um, how you can achieve an optimal outcome and without being too stressed about everything. And the fact is, the less stress you are about the whole thing, you actually get a much better outcome. Yeah. Oh yeah, your yeah. physique will look way better. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a huge part, yeah. Because mm, I found personally, the more hyper-focused you are on say, like the hunger and prep and maybe lack of libido and things like that, like the more it'll affect you as well. So mm. same with like an injury, if you concentrate so much on the in injury and it takes over your whole training and lifestyle, then it's probably gonna take longer to heal as well or it'll consume you. And I think it's refreshing that Alan, like I can't wait to be able to think about a prep like that as well. So mm -hmm. yeah. All in good time. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think like, you know, at the same time, you know, I understand it because um, we care about it so much because we want to get the best possible outcome, right? So it's very hard to be like, because if you didn't have that mindset and thinking about it all the time to begin with, you're not going to be able to achieve something great. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess, like I said, being able to work with other people and see how other people go through it and help other people guide, uh, go through that, that gives you a lot of different perspective on how you can make yourself apply that and be better yourself as well. So I guess not everyone's going to have that perspective and it's, you know, it's always easier to tell someone else just be like, oh, just don't stress. But mm. when you yeah. are that person stressed out, you know, the last thing yeah. that you want to hear is like, it's not as easy. Telling you to not stress, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So, Alan, give us an example. Like, compare an average day for you now, mm. you know, in preparation compared to an average day for you during your very first preparation. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, lifestyle is very different. Uh, I was working a full-time job in a retail store at the time for my first prep, and also I prepped myself for the per first prep as well. So you can imagine, so you can like you you did your first prep yourself. So yeah. th that's why I understand you how like all you think about is oh, I wonder should I do more, should yeah. I do less, yeah. and you know, and you constantly talking to other people or even talk, talking to yourself, confusing yourself, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. trying to get all this information out. Um, so that was me first time as well. Uh, and obviously lifestyle's a little bit different, whereas now I suppose, you know, I get to um, sit down and very fortunate to be able to work from home most days. Um, I go work in a supplement store on the weekends as a part-time job as well. Um, so get to uh, interact with different people. But like for the most part, I'll, you know, now it's definitely a lot more relaxed and I have more time to like, prep my meals and, you know, train at a time that I like to train mm -hmm. and things like that. Obviously, everything else evolved around that, you know, so, but it was first time around, it's definitely, you know, like you're stressing about like, oh, I got to eat at a certain time then, or I got to like train at a certain time or, and I didn't have a car at a time as well. So that's another factor. I got to catch a bus to get to the gym. Oh, wow. By the time I finish gym, it's like, I have to catch this, uh, the city cat or like the, 
back to my house, you know, and then I have to reach, get there before a certain time. Whereas now, you know, you get a car and everything. So mm. I suppose, you know, everyone's going to have different circumstances and situations. Uh, but definitely, like, you know, as you get more experience and everything, you, you learn to adapt to those situations a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll experience a similar thing because obviously we were both studying full time and we, Chera was working at UQ Sport. And the next time I prep, like, I'll probably be like a more of a home sort of business and uh, Tierra will be prepping next year as a online coach and mm. occasionally working at UQ. So a very different approach for both of us as well. Yeah, it really makes a world of difference, you know, being in control of when you get to train during the day and when you feel the best and also just being in control of having a regular sleep and wake cycle as well. It makes a world of difference. So just little things like that and not having external stressors of, university or people always you know expecting things from you so that's going to make it a hell of a lot more of an enjoyable prep for sure yeah for sure that's definitely makes a difference and and like i say you know at different situations like you know the, you're, you're always gonna uh experience some sort of challenges right doesn't matter what lifestyle that you live mm-hmm. but i suppose you know you just learn to uh adapt better and then obviously everything that you do will allow you to um well, everything that you do will f- help facilitate that as well. So. Yeah. And it's also being in something like a prep, it does make little things a little bit more stressful. Like you said, you know, you had to catch the bus to the gym yeah. and then you had to catch the city cat home or, you know, mm. catching public transport for the average person all happy in their off season. You know, it's not a big deal. But when you're deep into a prep and you're hungry and you're a little maybe sleep deprived, you know, and anxious, like getting on a bus, you just dread it. You're like, yeah. I just want to be home and eat my meal mm. now. Yeah. <laughs> and another great example is like, you know, like Lachlan, right? Living in mm. college, so he doesn't have the kitchen facility. That that, that makes it difficult, yeah. right? So yeah. yeah. That would stress me out big time. Yeah. 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 Mm. Weighing everything at a buffet three times a day. Mm. Like, Credit you know, to him. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll get into the body of the podcast today. So we'll start off with some pre-contest preparation topics. So what we usually do or recommend or what is done before the actual big diet. So we'll let Alan start off saying basically his thoughts on it. And yeah, over to you. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people, like I think I'll start off by saying, you know, um, a lot of people used to refer to it as an off season, right? And I used to use it uh, say as off season. And I think I don't know who started saying the improvement season. Uh, but I think it was it was either Steve Hall or Three D. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. It's such a positive way to put it because mm-hmm. you know off season people used to think, oh, you have to get like super fat to put on muscle, and yeah. then yeah. you see photos of like people getting like just unnecessary put on, put on an unnecessary amount of body fat uh, obviously there's so many variables that could affect it but you know people used to think off season just like a relaxing time and whatever and you only start training hard but we all know that like especially you know obviously this apply, uh, applies for all bodybuilders natural or enhanced or whatever that off season i mean improvements are made in the off season right mm-hmm. so i think it's important that you put just as much effort obviously could be very uh, in a much more relaxed fashion where because I think you know you need to also factor in your day-to-day life and also being able to live a life outside of just bodybuilding because yeah. majority of people aren't professional bodybuilders even professional bodybuilders have a life have mm. a job and everything else hobby builder yeah 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 <laughs> hobby builder like then yeah but um yeah so it's important that you're taking care of everything else in life because you know that when the prep time prep time comes everything seems to be just a evolve around that so I think you need to have some sort of balance in the lifestyle but 
still, you know, uh, I think it's important that because it, at, at the end of the day, if you want to get the most optimum, like most uh, improvements out of your physique, you have to do some planning like mm-hmm. you're doing now, still be tracking your food, more monitor your intake and monitor how the body composition changes. And obviously your training will be the most important part, in my opinion, in the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the improvements in it, because that's literally what's going to dictate uh, whether you are you are going to be able to put on some lean tissue or not. Uh, like obviously, the, you know, uh, the nutrition side is very important as well. Uh, but I think, you know, you are going to be eating a sur- surplus for most people as long as you monitor that and you're not getting too out of shape and mm. eating sufficient amount of protein, then you're probably a little bit more relaxed with like, you know, uh, carb and fat ratio and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you hit a certain calorie intake, um, then you can still be able to eat out or maybe sometimes you have some social events, have a few drinks and things like that. Um, yeah, so uh, in, in improvement season and my take on it uh, has definitely changed over the years. And I think now, like I said to Jack, like, you know, when we had discussions about his off-season, sorry, improvement season, uh, is that, you know, I will only uh, so push the food up if we are making improvements in the gym. Uh, and also plan out your, I guess, yearly um, training uh, plan where you can break it down to different mesocycles so macro cycle, meso cycle, and obviously micro cycle as well. So you can, you know, if, if you think about it right, if you have two years off season, that's 40, uh, sorry. Uh, 104 and four weeks. <laughs> um, 24 so months. So I was just thinking like 12 weeks of block at yeah. a time. So, so yeah, so you can probably run like, you know, three to four really solid program of uh, say 12, eight to 12 weeks block. And then you probably kind of chuck in some deloads in between, yeah. right? And then you factor in like, the time of the year, Christmas time, most people are gonna go traveling, family stuff and everything else. So, you know, you're probably gonna have like, I would say two to three very, very solid training program that you can, provided you're healthy and uh, injury free and everything to actually make that progression. Like that's pretty much with this the time you're in right now, right? Yeah. Uh, that you can actually see lift, uh, progress like on a weekly basis and then everything goes Accordingly, that's a time where you can like, okay, really push the food out, making sure you optimize everything to get the most uh, gains out of that. And then, then you can have some in-between programs where you can be a little bit more relaxed where you are maybe during like exam time or, you know, busier work or things like that. And just to bit of a maintenance phase. Mm. Uh, and then, then you go back on another uh, phase to focus on different body parts. So mm-hmm. I think just have like a overall guideline of how you want to approach um in making progress in your physique and then break it down you know step by step and then i think that will make it a little bit easier as well having some direction because a lot of times you know when you're in the improvement season a lot of times people find themselves lost like you know Mm -hmm. don't really know what i'm doing i don't really know what i'm doing i'm not really because i'm not as straight as i look you know how i used to look and then you also feel, you know, you're not as strong as where you used to be and things like that, you know, or worse if you get an injury, right? And it's going to set you back. So having a bit of a plan and also, I guess, uh, will allow you to sort of something that, to give you something to look forward to and you can structure everything around that. Mm-hmm. And as you approach, uh, I guess, as you get closer to the con- contest time uh, or the date that you plan to start your contest prep, then you can sort of, then you can look at, okay, this is the training program I'll run to start my prep. And then that's the time where you can start, okay, I'll be a little bit more diligent with my food tracking, maybe eat out a little bit more frequently and making sure everything's a little bit more accurate with the data and everything. They can start tracking some data, uh, maybe not as uh, 
I guess, um, as intense as you would in a normal prep, but you can start maybe weighing yourself like three, four, five times a week, whatever that suits your lifestyle, monitor your food as, uh, you know, uh, as accurate, accurately as you can, as you come closer to the day, then you set yourself up in a really good position where now you have all this data leading up to the, to, to the actual prep and you are also, you know, body is feeling healthy and, you know, work on any injuries or imbalances that you have in off season. So that way you are ready to start a contest prep. And, and, you know, for most people, like, you know, you should be able to still make some really, really good pr- progression at the, at least first half of the prep, right? And then mm. just keep rolling on with that. And that, that's going to make things a lot easier as opposed to go from like zero to 100. Like, you know, you hear some people say like, oh, I'm going to start prep on Monday. So I'm just going to go all out and mm. binge and eat whatever I want to eat because oh, I know, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. Any thoughts on, Alan? I think Alan gave a very good comprehensive overview. So yeah, all I can really add to that is just to, like your, for your improvement season, don't waste it because, you know, sometimes like, for example, last year when I st- stood off, like stepped off stage and I was like, you know, it's going to be another two years until I step on stage again. At that time, you know, two years sounds like a lot of time, but frick, the days and the weeks and the months and literally the years go by so fast. And now that it's been just over a year since we last competed, you know, it's just flown by. And I'm so grateful that I have been, you know, persisting in the gym and keeping track of, you know, pushing my body weight up responsibly. Mm. (laughs) Um, But I'm just so grateful that I have taken advantage of that time because it does really, really fly by. So if you do have the goal to make significant changes to your physique, you know, don't just push it aside. Like Alan said, have some sort of plan. Mm. Yeah, and I agree. And especially taking into account, like, realistically how much muscle you gain as a natural athlete so like if you competing back-to-back seasons then that might not be appropriate if you're a novice athlete and you might need a longer off season as well so there are a lot of variables that come into play and yeah i think we did a pretty good summary with the off season i think we should probably touch on i guess the prep before the prep and I think uh, Lawrence, one of the listener questions asks, would you rather take an athlete through a longer prep or do a diet before the diet? And I think that gives us a good opportunity to talk about like the, I guess the month or two leading up to prep. And is there a specific body fat we should start at? Is there any other preparation strategies we can do to prepare, prepare for the big diet? Yeah. So Alan, what are your, what's your take on the diet before the diet? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we, we touched on that uh, just a little bit uh, before. Um, I think, you know, as you get closer to the, the actual prep time, you should probably start monitoring everything a little bit more diligently. Uh, but it really depends on the individual, right? I, I, and, and, you know, for us, you know, we know that, you know, when you have client inquire in, in to say, I want to prep for season B or season A, you probably, you know, I, I would prefer to start someone at, at least like, you know, 20 to 24 weeks up provided that they are already in a decent shape and things like that because i guess this is where i mean uh, that the prep before the prep lawrence is, uh, has referred to is like you know i want to make sure that because obviously you don't know their diet history you don't know their, tra- their training history so you probably need that little bit of buffer time where to you can implement that training program they wanted to run to see how they even your how the exercise executions are, how do they train, and how do they monitor their fatigue level and everything, and what's their lifestyle like, what's your sleep is like, you know, and all these things are very important, right? So you can't just throw someone straight into the deficit and you know hope it, 
copy sticks, right? Mm. So get a bit of understanding and I will usually write if I have enough time. So I guess at least four weeks of like maintenance phase yeah. um, for someone that wanted to start a prep. So I guess that kind of extended the prep, the totality total, total prep time to be a little bit longer. But I guess you can also look at it as like four weeks of maintenance phase to just to establish a, an appropriate starting position and then going to prep. Uh, and this is probably especially more important for novice competitors, right? Mm. Where you have like someone like seasoned like yourself, you know, you probably don't need that maintenance or prep before the prep time because you've already been monitoring everything. So you're just like, okay, the next eight weeks, I know this is what I need to do. I'm making sure I'm in a certain position so I have all this data available to me. Then start prep here, boom, right? So whereas for a lot of people, novice, uh, novice competitors, you probably need that four weeks time just to making sure, you know, uh, to monitor, you know, how much volume they're training, how much food they're eating, and whether the tracking is equally or not. That's very important, right? And also where, the, where their psychology is, right? How they, what do they expect to get out of the prep? And I think that's a very, very in, in, important part as well, you know, because I think a lot of times, like we spoke about it before, just in a conversation that a lot of people have this expectation of like, okay, oh, that's easy, I'll just do that, and in 12 weeks and I'll look like, someone they see on social mm. uh, social media, but it doesn't work like that, right? There's no. so much they work into it. And a lot of times people break or those that doesn't have a successful prep is 99% of times due to psychology, right? So, yeah. So Alan, if you, for example, if you had a client who didn't come to you at 20 or 24 weeks mm. out, let's say you were working with a client throughout their entire improvement season and then, yeah. the, you know, you were planning ahead for that prep, would you consider running something like a six to eight week mini cut followed by that maintenance phase and then starting the prep, doing that form of a diet before a diet? Okay, yeah, I get what I, I wouldn't, purely for the fact that like, I'll probably run like mini fat loss because I would expect that if I'm working with someone for long term with the goal to compete, let's say season B next year, for example, uh, for now, like I said, what we just talked about, right? I have like a year, I will have like a yearly plan. Okay, this is, you know, we'll run, we'll run a strength block here because we're so far, we can really, hammer that and bring some enjoyment in the training, you can hit some heavy weights, mm. then we can start right. And after that, we'll run a 12 weeks of like, you know, uh, hypertrophy specific stuff and to bring up your weak point or whatever, and then monitor your body weight to uh, increase your food to get the most out of that getting phase. Then we can probably run like a six to eight weeks of like uh, maintenance or slightly in the uh, fat loss phase if you are starting to get a little bit uh, above where we should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think 10 to 15% above your body weight at the, as a starting uh, above your stage weight would be a good starting point for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, then, like I probably wouldn't run a mini cut before a fat loss phase. I'll probably rather run like a maintenance phase before then you start an actual fat loss. Because yeah. then I'm like, then it, it will kind of be like counterproductive. If it makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. for someone uh, planning for long term, there will probably be a good idea to run some sort of mini cuts in between. But I wouldn't do that like just as you're about to start prep. In my yeah. opinion, yeah. So I guess that slightly differs to what I just finished up because I just did an eight week cut because I hit my peak body weight at 70.7 kilograms. And then I went through an eight week dieting period just to kind of tidy things up a bit. And I got down to 66.5 kilograms. So just over a four kilogram loss. And then what I'm planning to do is spend the next seven weeks at maintenance, trying to you know regain some strength, trying to build my calories up as high as possible and then I'm gonna be starting my 25 week prep um, on the 31st of August. So what do you think about that? Like doing a diet and then a good maintenance period and then 
doing the prep yeah. rather than like a mini cut straight into prep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a really, really awesome uh, approach to it. And I, I will actually agree to that approach. And, and I think the most important thing to realize is that I think there's no one size fits all. There's no one approach to uh, for, for everyone. It all really depends on where you are, you know, as far as your training, nutrition goals, physiologically, psychologically, and how you're feeling, everything. Like, this is because you, you just justify exactly why you're doing those things, and they're yeah. all perfectly, uh, I think, it's awesome from mm-hmm. where you are. To, and then you sort of, because you're monitoring everything and tracking everything, so you know exactly what you have to do to get out of each phase. So each yeah. phase has a purpose, right? And then the purpose is to sort of that way you can get the most uh, optimal outcome towards mm-hmm. the end. And, and, and I think that's awesome, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think it all just as as Alan said, it will depend on the individual, and not everyone will follow the same prep. And for example, like I think if someone is of a higher body fat, so above twenty percent, then it might be wiser for them to do a mini cut followed by maintenance. But if someone is already like around fifteen, twelve to fifteen percent, then if they do a mini cut and then an extended diet of like twenty to twenty five weeks, they might just be ready very early, which may hinder them in other ways as well so yeah yeah i mean like for 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 some people you know like maybe some novice competitor that's uh that you think you know they have more to lose than they actually uh think then you can probably actually run a mini cut as then just be like, okay this is what a, a taste of what it's going to be like mm. and how and then see how they handle everything right and then you can make a decision okay well maybe we'll just uh put this season off and then because then you have time to make that decision yeah uh, uh, as opposed to being too deep into the prep to like don't want to like put, put a ping on the prep and, and stuff you know yeah that's yeah. such a good point that you make and it's yeah like you just said and it's not just getting their body ready but it's getting their mind ready mm. for what it's really going to be like yeah 100 mm. that's the most important part i think mm. yeah cool so let's move on to the next segment which will be the prep itself so obviously we've already discussed this a little bit but we'll let alan go first again basically just discussing his general thoughts on it and yeah yeah so when it comes to the contest prep itself and uh and you will know this because obviously we've gone through that and i'm i don't know if i have a slightly different approach to other people but like i like to uh like i know that you can't predict the outcome uh or to to eat exactly exactly how you should be but i like to break break up the prep into different blocks and then your nutrition and training will go accordingly to that block and i set a target for each block that i want to get out of that and then that will sort of set up the next block. And what I mean by that, I'll just give you some examples, right? Like, and one of the reasons for that is, I, I think to break up the prep into different portions and then you can chuck in some deloads and diet breaks in between that. I think that helps um, a lot of people. I think just psychologically, you can be like, okay, just push out for the next eight to 10 weeks and then we'll do a diet break and deload. And I think it will make you feel a little bit better and knowing like, okay, I just need to get this done by this date and then Get the most optimal, like the get the result that we want. Then we can have a break and then start mm-hmm. uh, the next phase, right? Uh, as opposed, to like just start dieting and be like, okay, I have twenty four weeks left. Yeah. So break it down makes it a little bit easier, right? Mm. And another part is that nutritionally, uh, the what I like to approach, um, and obviously it's definitely learning from other people and develop over the years and things like that. It's like, like I think we can both agree that as you get leaner and leaner, it gets harder to lose more body fat, right? You yeah. have less and less spare energy available. And also, uh, you know, your bodies naturally want to um, bring your body fat level up, trying to make you seek food. That's why you have, that's why you feel hungry. 
uh, is signaling you to seek food. And also that's why I feel tired because it's trying to stop you from further losing weight. Mm. And I think it's important to emphasize that that's a completely normal response. So we were talking mm. off air about this as well, mm. is that your body wants to fight back and that's completely normal to experience those types yeah. of things. Because and I sort of uh, talk about this a lot. It's like because your body doesn't really care that you're trying to get on stage yeah. in a posing trunk all your body is trying to care uh, all, all your body is concerned about when you have a stage ready physique when you have a proper you know when you're properly shredded is to actually be like holy shit like we have no body fat we're no spare energy level left <laughs> survival we, we need to yeah we need to make you you know bring the level up to a yeah. certain set point where he, where he wants you to be right so that's very very important to the establishment and i think that's uh, why my nutritional approach would be like, and you know this as well, like, I think it's, you, the deeper you into prep, the leaner you get, you know, the more frequently refeeds are required or warranted or it will help. Uh, and so, and you actually end up dieting, spending less, less time actually dieting. I know it's really hard to like wrap your head around that. And it's definitely, it's, I guess, it's a bit of a try and error and it's scary, scary to do that because uh, as you get leaner, you know, the naturally your first instinct is like, I need to push harder. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you don't see things move, I got to do more, you know, whether in, increase your output by cardio, and which is what a lot of people do, right? Just mm-hmm. burn more calories and yeah. I need to eat less and less, right? But I think, you know, like going to the point of like, because our natural uh, body's natural response is to, you know, resist that, right? To stop you from further losing body fat. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, and, and obviously then, you know, you can go into the details about like how, you know, your physiologically works, like, you know, uh, or your hormones downregulate, so certain hormones upregulate, like your leptins go down, your cortisol went up and everything that comes with that and how does that affect your whole body and and things like that. So I think um, the leaner, leaner you get, so you actually need to spend less time in active dieting as in proper deficit days. So the way I break up the, break up the blocks is at the start of prep, I'll do like, you know, six days of dieting, have one day of refeed, and they'll also help me to kind of like establish as a like, you know, um, how much, you know, carbohydrate they're eating and things like that, and then and see how they respond. And I mean, I mean, I mean at the start of prep, when you're still like fairly uh, holding a little bit more body fat level and eating decent amount of food across mm-hmm. the board, you probably don't really need that refeed days, mm-hmm. but I still keep that in there more, more for a psychological reason, and also help me establish a, uh, a starting point, as long as I get the, required deficit out of the six days of dieting. And even, it's important to emphasize that a refeed day is really just bringing you up to maintenance calories anyway. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to gain weight from a refeed day. Yeah. It's just maintenance. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and actually, a lot of times, and Jack will be, can te- um, be the testament to this as well, it's like you actually hit some new lows. Yeah, definitely. Refeed days, you know? It's yeah, like, especially after those three, because I had three refeed days in a, low, uh, in a row and probably my like pretty much every single week we hit a new low yeah. after those three and your days. refeed days were high what yeah. were your carbs what yeah. were they uh, i think around five to five so yeah. Jesus. yeah yeah and i think it's so important because like obviously alan coached jack through that and it really emphasizes the importance of having a coach there mm. to explain why you're doing this because as an athlete you might be like uh, that's completely counterintuitive. Why yeah. would I only diet for four days and then eat a bucket load of carbs for three days? Mm. But if your coach can, you know, convince you like, hey, let's try this and really, you know, showcases to you that, look, it worked. Mm. <laughs> like it, that's where really having a coach pays off, I think. Yeah, I understand. And obviously yeah. take the stress out of that too, right? 
So yeah, I guess go back to that uh, blocks, uh, I guess break it down into blocks. And so that's how I would do the first block. And then I, I expect to get certain outcome out of that as far as how you look and things like that. Then we'll run a uh, die break and delo accordingly. So my approach is like, I will pre uh, set those points, uh, those dates, and I work everything backwards. And probably a little bit different to a lot of people where they will just go and see how the athlete, mm -hmm. uh, how the athletes responding, and then apply like implement those things. I like to set those things. I say regardless, regardless whether you actually need it or not, I will still put those days mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. It's like just to break up the the prep into blocks, so that way we just need to push whatever then we need to get out of that those weeks of you know actually dieting. Then I move into the next block where you know now you're dieting like five days a week, so five days with two back-to-back -back refeeds. So we, uh, you know, I expect you to get leaner at a certain point, so we work out the, break up the uh, blocks, and so now you have more frequent refeed as you get leaner. Then you do another diet, diet break and dealer, which is what I'll be doing next week, and then, then you finish off the rest of prep where you do like four low days and three high days. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's very important to, to yeah, like you just mentioned that, you know, you bring your carries back up to maintenance, maybe slightly above, uh, and I will only really raise your carbohydrate. Uh, that seems to be the one macro, mm -hmm. macronutrients can have an impact on, as, well, first of all, restore glycogen, and also, uh, I guess, upregulate some of the hormones that we're trying to... Yeah, it's the only one that significantly impacts leptin. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. And I mean, it's not gonna completely reverse the adaptation, but mm. hopefully can you know slow down those negative mm. adaptation. And I, and I think that you know when you guys had the Jack had Jackson on, you know I, that's obviously what he's doing. Obviously mm. that's with the extending re, uh, diet diet breaks, so yeah. you know one to two weeks of uh, that, and that will give us you know a lot of actual data or accurately to see okay whether that's actually doing what. Mm. But I think from my experience and, and with clients, I think even just from a psychological psychological perspective it makes it a lot easier and be like okay because the leaner you get the worse that you felt right and be like okay mm -hmm. i only need to die four days a week and i have all these you know delicious carbs to look forward to for the next three days it makes it a little bit i guess bearable too so yeah and yeah. i think what's really smart as well and i know that you did this with jack is that you purposely put those three high days towards the end of the week as if it was you know the last high day was either on a saturday or a sunday because it gives the coach an indication of what the athlete's going to look like when they're carved up. And also, obviously, the athlete sees themselves too, but it really gives you some feedback for how that athlete's going to respond to a carb up when you actually enter your peak week, which is just invaluable data. It's yeah. amazing. And I think that when you did that with Jack, that was just so smart. Yeah, that's so, like, I guess my thing was like, okay, I want to try to make it as predictable as possible so by doing that like you say exactly you have the three high days and the last day of the high day is the same day as you know if it falls on saturday you know you're gonna have your contest day on saturday or structure training accordingly on the same schedule as well so that really helps in that like so i know okay if jack's been running 525 grams of carbs back to back to back for the last six weeks mm -hmm. You can get a, have a pretty good idea in how he looks on each day you can have a pretty good idea of like and also, obviously, then the food sources that he uses as well, right? Then you can have a pretty good idea of, like, how much you need to manipulate. Probably not much. Uh, just a little bit, and you can make some. Maybe you can do some glycogen depletion, which we did. Uh, keep water the same, slightly elevate the water and sodium on those high days. Um, yeah, so just so that way you're taking as much guesswork out of the picture, and then you can just 
yeah, so you know, you know exactly how you should look out of the those, you know, I guess peak peak week. So that's one massive variable that a lot of people tend to be concerning with, right? Yeah. It's like, um, like obviously, you know, we're not gonna get too much out of the peak week, realistic speaking. But mm. at least this way, you minimize all those variables, and again, you take away the stress. Yeah. So. Well, I agree that if you do a peak peak week badly, you can definitely look worse. But if you do it average to very good, you'll successfully look fuller. But if you deplete water, uh, deplete salt as well, mm. and drink a bottle of wine, <laughs> yeah. then you will probably be drastically lowering your physique. But the only thing I wanted to add to what Alan and Tierra said was that the increase in carbs isn't magic. It doesn't magically lower your body weight. So if we actually look at the weekly calories in total, the, yep. we're still in a deficit. Yep. So we're not we're not eating enough to be in a surplus. So my carbs were at five to five for three days, but the low days were very quite well, not very low, but low for low, me. Low for Jack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and especially, and we actually tailored training around that as well. So on my rest days, obviously activity wasn't as high, and our macros were lower on those days as well. And then on the other low days, we had uh, different styles of training. Whereas on the high days, we had the really high intensity style training where like squats, RDLs. Uh, the heavy pushing movements as well. So it was all tailored very well to fit the nutrition. Yeah, I think that's that strategy. It's huge. Like I, I will say that it's like for the end, and this is why I do those things. I will say it's largely because of how it's based on psychology and mm. how you feel at that point of prep, right? Yeah. So I'm like, you know, like you said, you have three really high days to look forward to, but those low days can be pretty pretty brutal. But you know, it's because we're still trying to achieve a certain weekly total amount of deficit out of those low days, mm-hmm. right? Um, so by structuring training on a, a putting harder training sessions on those high days, I feel like psychologically you'd be like, okay, I have full 400 grams of carbs up until this point. I mm-hmm. probably can push a little bit harder. Yeah. You know, and... Like, yeah, so hard to do a squat session on a low day. Well, you're super depleted, right? Yeah. And then whether it's like actually fit physically being impacted or even just psychologically you'd be like i've been hungry all day i had no food no carbs mm. now i want to go squat heavy you know what i mean where's like okay i had 400 grams of carbs that like yeah. you even the energy that you feel better yeah will probably help you get through those sessions a little bit better right and then on those i guess lower days or you can look at it as like a depleted sessions i i, I tend to put like a little bit more high volume a little more like a metabolic training where you're just trying to deplete your muscle really yeah. uh, but with like you know nothing near failure and just I guess trying to get a good pump and also mm-hmm. just you know yeah metabolic training yeah. Uh, burn some glycogen and things like that so yeah it yeah. can certainly be very motivating to see yourself with a pump in prep I, yeah. I remember that on one of my high days when like after a week of being on low calories like actually getting a pump i just got so excited it felt mm. it felt good and it looked good and it really really motivated me mm. so yeah we have quite a few questions now regarding the prep itself so we'll mm. get stuck into them so the first one we'll touch on is one by john schultz and he asks peak week training protocols training reductions or increases and why um definitely training reduction because i think you know and, and I'll explain why. Uh, actually, I, I shouldn't say definitely because obviously you can never speak absolute on these topics. But in my opinion, and I definitely changed my approach. And now I have been that guy that before where it's the last week. I got to, you know, go balls to the walls, yeah. right? I just want to get it, you know. But in the, the reality is that, you know, in, in that one week training-wise that, you know, 
you're you're not gonna do anything that's actually help you put on well you're definitely not gonna put on muscle or, or, or <laughs> nothing you can do eat if you're not ready at two weeks out there's nothing you can do training yeah. or nutritionally to make it look like drastically different mm. uh so training was i mean what well, but the one thing that you can do is actually minimize stress right uh so training was i usually you know you know this i usually put it like a delo style training um uh, maybe potentially slightly a little bit more volume, but definitely nowhere near. Um, I would say at least twenty to thirty percent reduction from what you did previous to that. Um, and and sometimes I will even like start slowly reducing uh, the training intensity and volume from like two to three weeks out, even if the person's almost ready. Mm. So that way, because on those weeks you know, you're already feeling pretty crap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and then also you don't want to risk injury, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's a really hard thing for me to do is because I, I, I'm that guy that I want to go in and smash it, right? Yeah. And, if you've and, never seen yeah. Alan train, check out some of his Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it's like, you know, it's very, uh, I guess, contradicting coming from me because I'm that guy that had done all those things before. But yeah, I definitely think uh, D-Lo training, uh, you can probably still going through like high reps and whatever. I guess, you know, like I said, a bit of a metabolic training uh, and just get some good pumps and whatever when on the days that you have a little bit more high carbs, definitely nowhere near feel and definitely don't do movements or try to implement exercise that you, that you haven't done yeah. before. So, uh, because one of the key idea in Pigweed is to or like reduce systematic stress, right? So, so that way you can actually look the best mm. come stage that, yeah. Yeah, and certainly having DOMS, um, of course, would just uh, cause a whole bunch of inflammation. But also, imagine getting on stage and posing in itself is a huge Mm. workout. And trying to imagine turning on muscles and pose on stage when you have severe DOMS, that would be awful. Yeah, that's a really, really important point as Mm. well. So, Alan, if you're reducing training volume and intensity slightly throughout the week... Touch, touch on how would you structure the training on the carb up towards the show? Yeah. So what I typically do, so for, it, I'll probably do this for both physique and uh, bodybuilders. I'll usually structure leg day. So as the last session, it, it would be like at the very start of the week or even the back end of, of two weeks out. So that way you give yourself about, you know, uh, six to eight days even uh, to do your last leg session because obviously, uh, as you just said, you don't want to, uh, recruit any in, you want to minimize any possible inflammation right mm-hmm. and also because holding your legs itself for bodybuilders it's super hard as it is yeah uh, so adding more training on top you can you know probably potentially causing a little bit more inflammation make you look a little bit more watery and I found that just can have that you know seven days uh, six to eight days mm-hmm. bit of uh, leg day break for most people uh, can make your legs a little bit sharper. I yeah, I, I guess contrary to what some people might think, or especially legs are a special one. I think they're a bit different to other muscle groups. Yeah, it's the opposite to the op- yeah, other body. It's yeah. amazing because like you do not pump up your legs because yeah. when you pump up your legs, you'll lose definition yeah. in your legs. But you know, you'll pump up every other muscle group. Like yeah. you'll pump up your yeah. shoulders and your arms yeah. and your back. The but- only one that's similar to legs would be the biceps potentially. Because mm. like... You know, there's some details. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, other than that, like it's the, yeah, you don't pump up your legs because you lose detail, especially striations in your uh, vastus lateralis. So yeah. 
yeah um yeah that's you know like the, that's why people say like you know when they take photos of legs or post session so you can't really see the definition yeah. right yeah that, that's, that's a, how there's I, a reason that's how for that, I right? learned that's how I yeah. learned um I was I was always offering Jack after his leg days I was like do you want a photo and he's like dude my legs are so pumped right now you can't see a thing yeah. it just looks like I have massive yeah. big <laughs> so yeah so like so what you know so that makes sense that to structure that as far as possible and then yeah. you, like i said you know you're not gonna lose any muscle because mm-hmm. you're still training and then you definitely not gonna put on any muscle yeah. so, yeah. so it's, it's, it's not it's yeah. not just a bro thing yeah. to stop training legs one mm-hmm. week out there's actually yeah. some reasoning behind it <laughs> yeah so then after that so the the remaining of the week you know the so because the way we run the i like to run pigweed so i usually do the depletion days but they will be pretty much unscheduled with what they're training the, sorry, the usual dieting days I like, so four low, three high, so I'll do four sessions of like, I guess more of a met- metabolic training, which what they normally do in their normal days anyway. So tra- that's what I meant by training won't change too much, apart from the reduction in uh, obviously intensity. Uh, then I guess on the cup up days, what I usually do is all those days, high days, I'll usually uh, do like a circus style, because um, obviously closer to that point, all you really want to do is just Get, get some good pump, you know, do some yeah. curls, do some pre- push-ups or even just pressing whatever, like a circus style just after you have some carbs um, just to, I guess, push those glycogen around to where you want it to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, very, very light, um, whole body circus style or even just upper body circus style if you yeah. if you uh, if you find yourself like tend to lose your leg uh, details pretty quickly, uh, then you probably don't want to trend then definitely leading up to the comp. Mm. Uh, especially the last few days, just don't touch it. Uh, just do posing yourself or do more than enough. And then yeah. just upper body stuff, uh, get some glycogen push around, do some posing, and that's, pre- that's pretty much it. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to make any progress in PV training anyway. Yeah. So like I said, the key thing is just to reduce stress. So probably, you know, that's probably, again, contrary to what a lot of people think it's that you, you, you actually try to do less to make it look better. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you have... Yeah, the hard yeah. the hard work is done, you know. Mm. Just enjoy that last week, enjoy those few days of carbs and enjoy the freaking show. Mm. For sure, for sure. So let's move on to the next question. So we'll do one by Corinne Wooden and she asks, how far out of a competition should you start posing practice? Okay. Um, and you guys know this, like I'm yeah. so huge on posing because it, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, we, we spoke about it in the last episode where I think that's one of variables that most people put the least tension to when they should uh, put the most tension to because that's one thing that you actually have 100% control of. Mm-hmm. And then most people don't put enough tension. So that's one thing that you know. And, and, and I think, you know, it's realistic for most people to see, okay, I want to have the best presentation on stage. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that you, you, you can probably achieve that right yeah. whereas mm-hmm. you know you can say oh i want to have the best set of legs but in reality if you have like small chopsticks legs you're probably not going to get there right yeah, yeah. but posing you hit so much control uh-huh. right so uh i usually start off from even from the start of the prep so i do it in a progressive fashion like periodize it like you would with your training program where you can start off just by uh especially for a novice lifter you know the first block of the prep you probably just want to be like get get yourself familiar with like how, how each position feels like, what the poses should feel, and get some positions right. So, and then, so I'll say 20 to 24 weeks out, or at least, you know, whatever the contest that you plan on, but you know, whenever the press starts, you start your posing. Just yeah. schedule that in like a training session. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I, there will be a good uh, chance for you to monitor your progress, right? Mm-hmm. See how everything look, take some photos, and you can compare that week to week. Yeah. Um, 
and then just change that. So I'll increase the frequency of how much you practice as we go. And then so then once you get used to the, the positions and how every single pose feels like, then I'll start adding in some, uh, for bodybuilders, I'll add in some like lower body endurance uh, holds. This is something that I learned from Peter Harwick uh, when I did my posing with him as well, just to like learn how to hold your lower body uh, and so the line doesn't go and that's hard and then yeah. you can be a tester right yeah and but that's what's gonna really separate you from other people and the ability to isometrically hold your legs for that long especially if you have back-to-back categories right mm. and then hold that then the last bit you know you should realistically be able to present your physique perfectly by at least six weeks out in my opinion because in the last six week prep the last thing that you want to do is to just start learning how to pose yeah because you already have no energy um, training and everything else, just go about your day-to-day life. If you only just start posing, start practicing posing in six weeks out, mm. you're probably gonna have a terrible time yeah. to do yeah. so. Whereas if you, have, if you are ready by then, then you just go through the motions because mm. you already know exactly how, what you should do. Mm. Uh, and then, then I'll usually add in the transition. Uh, this is probably, I guess, not necessary, but I'd like to practice the tra- transition from the last leg of the prep as well to run each person through like how they can, I guess, just really, uh, practice that you know that art of posing yeah. and to put everything together it's almost like a posing routine mm. if you will and then yeah just go through the motion so definitely start as early as you can even in like your improvement season you can do some every mm. now and then if you are a seasoned competitor so yeah I feel like you could never practice posing enough and people need to remember that bodybuilding is an is it's an art in a way you know and when you get up on that stage that's when you're really presenting your hard work and presenting your physique so all of those points alan touched on are so important especially the endurance because you will see people who have practiced their posing practice their endurance compared to those who haven't i remember watching some of the posing lessons that jack did with alan and you know like for like a good minute alan would be like legs on (laughs) don't turn them off but it paid it it paid off Mm. because when jack was up on stage he just looked flawless you know like his legs were on the whole time he wasn't shaking he wasn't sweating from his forehead but then like other people next to him you know they're having a really really tough time i think that pays off like enormously and also you know like alan said even if you don't have the best legs on stage if you know how to present them so for example if you have smaller legs but you know how to turn them on and really show your best angles you'll probably beat the guy next to you who is twice the size of you but he can't tense his quads for his life you know so it really is in your control Mm. and it can make a difference 100 percent. and i think like i said for every competitor that take competing series your goal should be I want to be the best presenter on yeah. the stage. Yeah. And and like I said, that's achievable achievable for most people. Yeah. Uh, you know, or at, at least you'll be one of the best. Mm-hmm. At, at least, right? Whether you are first time competing or been competing for years. Yeah. So. And, and you're, you're putting on a show, you know, and one last thing I'll just say is just smile. Like, <laughs> practice smiling during your posing practice. I think in bodybuilding you practice. can get away with the grimace. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe in the crab pose. Yeah, but like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just mean like practice smiling during your posing mm. practice because if you're not smiling during practice, you're probably not going to smile on stage, you know, and God, a, a nice, gorgeous smile makes a world of difference. I'm not kidding. Like, especially, especially Alan's smile. Yeah, <laughs> Alan's got a beautiful smile. <laughs> for, 
people who I don't want to look at me. But yeah, <laughs> please don't don't forget to smile and don't have people screaming at you from the crowd. Smile! <laughs> like, you should already be yeah. doing it. You know. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to what uh, Tiara and Alan said is basically over the course of your preparation, your poses will actually change depending on how you lean up. So. Say if you're doing a side, or let's say a like a, a front lat spread. Mm. So say if your legs are coming in a bit smaller, or your one aspect of your legs are more favorable than the others, you can uh, depend turn your foot out more or less depending on your like. Say for Alan, he can afford to t- um, keep his legs completely front on because they're mm. massive. Whereas uh, when I competed, I turned my toes out a bit, and that just makes him look a bit bigger. So mm-hmm. there's certain things you can play around with and like say for the side chest or side tricep showing more or less of your chest. So like mm-hmm. say if you have a more favorable shoulder and arms, you can probably be a bit more side on in the side chest. Whereas if you have a massive chest, probably face a bit more um, mm-hmm. towards the judges. Mm-hmm. So yeah. things like that. Yeah. And you know, if you're ever, you know, doubting it, always ask for a second hand. So even if, you know, you have a posing coach, I would still recommend going to posing workshops. Mm. Not only does it allow you to actually practice posing next to other people and really get a feeling for that atmosphere but you know for example if you're posing with ICN go to their workshops because Mm. you'll meet the ICN president here in Queensland Jason and you know they hold workshops with all of the pros and you can get more tips and more feedback. Scout out the competition too. Yeah Yeah. scout out the competition Mm. for sure but mainly about the posing Mm. (laughs) just get you know like you can never have enough feedback you know so Okay, so moving on to the next question. So this should be a good one by Zach Martin Fitness. Directed at all you guys, Mm. what do you guys love the most about competing and comp prep? So I guess, Alan, you should go first because you're actually deep into this right now. Yeah. So I I, I guess um, for me, it's like, you know, as as much as like, you know, people say like, you know, you do it for yourself and things like that. There's definitely like certain degree of like, you know, obviously it's good to like, it's like, you know, when you're playing a sport, when you're good at something, right? It's, mm. it makes you feel good, right? And then I think bodybuilding is one of those things where I think we all started out with the intent to improve our fitness or improve our body or improve, it's all very positive things, right? So I think, you know, when you are able to finish something like this, I, I think a lot of people can grow a lot mentally. And I think for me, definitely, you know, I could, I, you know, I had the opportunity to even build a life with it, you know, mm-hmm. career wise, and also um, met a lot of great people. And most importantly, I think competing for me, just um, to be able to show off the hard work that I put in. And I guess you can like you, we can debate whether it's a sports or not because uh, obviously some people don't. Think it's it's a, sport. it's a sport. We we <laughs> compete. <laughs> like 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 I mean let me you know like uh, you know you are being judged you know that that by people's opinion. So mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's you know it's very subjective in, in in a way. But I think you know the amount of time and effort that you put in into your training just same as any other professional athletes, right? Like mm-hmm. you know it's just that we I guess this is a bit different to what people think like actual athletic sports are like because they see but but you know like to me you know when you have someone right like why would i want to run 100 meter again and again and again like uh, that to me is or a mountain, you know or, but then people will say like oh but but that's nothing against you know that because yeah they, i think that's amazing what they mm. do right it's just like oh every single sport if you take a step back and have a good thing about it, it's like it's not it's not normal yeah. in a sense uh but obviously you know um yeah i think it's first you know definitely 
the sense of achievement that you did this all by yourself. I mean, you did all, all the work, but obviously, you know, you're going to have a team around you, people around you to support you to achieve that goal. But I think the satisfaction that you get out of that, and I think for me, it's the mental growth and also to be in a shoot that I uh, show off that I have made improvements in my physique. Um, but like, I guess, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they, and you definitely hear the horror story of like how uh, contest prep can really ruin someone's you know life and things like that they have a very very negative experience mm. uh, but I suppose that's why it's so important that you really ask yourself the question of like why you want to compete so yeah. don't just compete for the sake of it you know what I mean so yeah cool so Jack what's your favorite part why do you do this so I think most competitive bodybuilders or people who do it quite intensely they I think they would still train regardless of whether they could compete or not. And I, I'm the same. Like, I love training and I'm the sort of person who's be, been very regimented from a very early age, as my family can probably attest to. And so, like I said, even even if comp- competing didn't exist, I would probably still train as much as I do, have as much dedication with my food, with my training, training and all that sort of stuff. But the main reason I compete is just because I'm a naturally competitive person. And as Alan said, I like to show off the, the work that I've done. And um, But mainly it comes down to just competing. I played football growing up and I enjoyed putting my hard work against other people as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think I can, I can completely relate to that. And I'd probably say one of my favorite parts of competing is it just makes me feel like I'm not alone because I freaking love going to the gym and I love being very regimented with my food and, you know, applying all of these wonderful things that Jack and I have learned through our tertiary studies on exercise and nutrition towards my training and towards my physique. I just, I think it is so fascinating, but I love competing because I love the atmosphere and I love knowing that I'm not the only one out there that is kind of (laughs) crazy. But, you know, like being surrounded by other people who have gone on the exact same journey as you and who live the same lifestyle as you. I just think I freaking love that. I love being in that little network, you know, of, uh, Mm. of people who share the same passions and that's why being backstage with other competitors and, you know, on social media, watching other people's journeys, I, oh, it's like nothing else. So that really, really makes it worthwhile for me. But at the same time, I see it as the biggest form of self-development in the world. And it challenges me on so many different levels. And I also just love being given the opportunity of every single day when I walk into the gym, you know. I have a chance and I have an opportunity to be better than I was yesterday and I freaking love a challenge and yeah, that's part of why I love competing. Yeah. I think we could probably go on about this yeah, for days. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's even like the, the, the fact that we are sitting here recording this, talking about this and there's people out there listening to us talking about this. That's exact the testament of like, you know, why we do what mm. we do as, yeah. you know, like competing in that, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, next question is by Ben Davis, and he asks, what are your go-to high-volume foods? All right, so Jack and I have definitely spoken about this before. Mm. I'm interested to hear, Alan, what do you love to eat when you're real hungry? Okay, you're probably going to be, be pretty disappointed. Um, like, my go-to high, like, okay, I'm a, 
when it comes to me and, and, I, and I probably doesn't I definitely don't recommend this to other people as well but I'm all about efficient cooking and efficient eating like I put no effort into my food like Jack would uh, but like you know definitely as I like get deeper into prep you know when the calories drops and things like that I will put more effort to think more about it but generally what I would typically do is like I'll switch up the food sources so so naturally that increase the food volume for example and I guess that will answer the question um, so for example at the start of prep when my calories intake a little bit higher you know I can use more you know calorie based condiments uh, I'll use like you know things like rice pasta and maybe lollies and things like that to fill up my intake right and as I go get deeper into the prep I can I will probably change up my carbohydrate sources from rice to something like sweet potato or white potato, so that way my calorie drops, carbs go down, but my food volume actually goes up. Mm-hmm. Then even deeper into the prep, that include more uh, include more um, vegetables, green vegetables, or variety of like you know lettuce, tomato. I think making a huge salad really just fill up your volume straight away. You can probably even do like some you know uh, sugar free like. Um, uh, jelly and things like that. Mm. I, I, I put it on some of my clients that was really, really struggling yeah. uh, with food volume wise. And there's almost something like, you know, calorie, but uh, no calorie, sorry, sugar free calorie stuff like condiments and things like that. But uh, one thing I would, I, I would definitely say to that is like, uh, especially with like, you know, those, a lot of the low calorie or, or no calorie source or, or sources and condiments, just be careful with like the sugar alcohol and stuff because it mm-hmm. does contain calories yeah. and definitely don't go overboard with those. And they, you know, you do have to track those uh, yeah. still, and also it can definitely up, upset your stomach. Um, so because we see people like do that a lot, right? You starting to use more and more and more mm. of those. You know, some of those uh, no no fat ice creams and things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certain bread which is like, just full of sugar alcohol yeah. and protein bars too, right? Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to know the actual energy content of them because mm, it changes it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I wouldn't differ too much on that. Like. Obviously, Tierra and I, we've spoken about nice cream a lot, but probably for me, just using like the high volume vegetables. So the I usually describe them as non-starchy vegetables. So with starchy mm-hmm. vegetables being like potato, pumpkin, parsnips, corn, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every other vegetable is very low in energy. It's mostly water content mm-hmm. and fiber. So yeah, if you don't like vegetables, then probably maybe shouldn't do a prep. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, the, that's pretty much it. Like, uh, in terms of fruit, the berries are pretty low in carbohydrates as mm-hmm. well. And the other, the other thing I'll touch on as well is if you're at the back end of a prep, then like high volume foods aren't really going to save you. Like you, you might feel like relatively satiated for a small amount of time, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's a low hormonal levels that's going to get you. You're going to feel pretty average because of mm-hmm. that, not necessarily because of your appetite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my best advice is like Jack just said, you know, sure, you get a few more mouthfuls of something and you get to spend a little bit more time eating, which is very mm. enjoyable. But best recommendation to fight, like, to fight hunger is to try to keep yourself almost distracted between meals. So, you know, make sure that you are doing things. So it really helps to be able to take your mind off food. So, for example, if you're going to uni, you know, have a meal and then go and study or go get away from the environment, away from food so that it can kind of take your mind off of it. And then that will help the time pass quicker until your next meal. I think there's probably a lot of merit to trying to distract yourself compared yeah. to constantly counting down the clock to when you get to eat again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely really important because if you keep thinking about it, it's only going to make it worse. Yeah. And then, so yeah, like I said, distract yourself 
just go for a walk or something and then listen mm-hmm. to a podcast or even uh you know just think about something that's not mm. prep prep related yeah and scroll through instagram or whatever uh but, but then yeah. again you probably gotta see a F- lot of food, phone a food friend yeah. phone yeah. your parents yeah <laughs> mm. and yeah. just before you know it you know 30 minutes 40 minutes gone no, yeah, yeah. You know. So the next question is by Daniel, and he asks, "When should you expect sleep slash libido to be affected?" So <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, on. Oh, you you can go. Yeah, there you go. You okay, go. so in terms of uh, let's go with sleep first. So I think this will depend on the individual, and this is when your sleep hygiene. So sleep hygiene is basically how you approach sleep and what habits you have surrounding sleep really comes into play. So. I think some people will be affected from sleep more than others. I know Tia and I weren't, we, we didn't, our sleep didn't actually get impacted at all. And so, so a few things that you can, to keep a handle on sleep is stuff like getting a good sleep and wake cycle. So going to bed early enough, mm-hmm. uh, melatonin is interrupted by, uh, exposure to light. So if you're constantly exposed to the screen and, or it's alternatively, if you live in a country with, uh, that the sun doesn't go down until like 10 p.m., then that will also affect you as well. Other things like the temperature, are you too hot or cold? Are you hungry or not hungry before going to bed? So if you're too hungry, then maybe you should play around with your nutrition a bit more because ultimately it's probably worth the sacrifice saving a meal for later on because sleep is such an important factor mm-hmm. in recovery and holding onto your muscle and hormonal and mental outlook as well. So... Uh, anything else you would include here on that? Yeah, I would say if it's in your control and you don't have to train late at night and you know, a lot of us are, I don't want to use the word guilty, but we're definitely (laughs) known for using caffeine quite heavily Mm. during a preparation. Uh, I would, if that's in your control, try to limit caffeine later in the day, especially at night, because you know, obviously caffeine is known to highly disturb sleep. And I'd say also, because you're consuming a lower carbohydrate intake, and as we know, each gram of carbohydrate stores three to four grams of water, with less carbohydrates, you're not going to be storing as much fluid. So as we know, a lot of us during prep, we pee like racehorses, you know, (laughs) constantly peeing. So Mm. if you can, obviously still stay hydrated, but just don't be drinking a whole bunch of fluids later in the day and late at night. Otherwise... You know, you can be waking up at least twice during the night to go pee, mm. and that can really, really disrupt sleep. Yeah. So yeah, and I'll just touch touch up on sleep, and that's so important. One factor is that really most a lot of people, or I'm I'm guilty of this, even last prep as well. Up until then, I, I think, yeah, definitely uh, in in individual uh, dependent. Um, and and I think personality has a lot to do with that. You know, some people just be more stressed out. Mm. about everything right then that person going through prep probably not going to have the easiest time and I'll, I'll probably say I'm somewhere in the middle of that like definitely can stress myself out a lot of times overthinking things but where you can see a lot of like people where they just pretty chill out and stuff you know they go through prep fairly easily yeah. uh, and then they can maintain a good sleep that will have a huge impact on your physique and you because physiologically you're going to be able to you know respond better to things feel better more energy and things like that now, one thing, and I guess this would be a bit of advice, and I guess a little bit, hip, I, I don't know if you would call it hippie, <laughs> hippie advice, but definitely practice meditation. Or, like myself, who can't meditate, or there's something that I will be practicing. I And if you have the money to spend, 
have you guys tried sensory deprivation tanks? No, tanks? I haven't. Okay. okay, there's something uh, like there's probably not enough research to say about it, but I think it it forced me to be in that. I guess people will recall mindfulness mm-hmm. in that zone. Um, so that uh, there's something that I implemented last prep towards the back end. Uh, I've always kind of want to try it. Uh, in 2017, obviously, you know, hear a lot of people talking about it. Yeah. See the benefits of like you know, help you managing stress, and obviously this is I guess a external thing that you can use to help you do that. And I definitely see the benefits in that. Like if nothing in that, maybe it's placebo and whatnot. But I just feel relaxed, and then just that one hour of like nothing, mm. you just floating, you know. Yeah, I know that, that helps. I know that they have one in West End. I've always really wanted mm. to try it. Yeah, mm. try it this time in prep. Mm-hmm. Like even just because you know we always constantly being stimulated by so many things, right? Like yeah. always on our, our, our phones. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely guilty of that. We just interacting with people and always it's go 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 mm-hmm. all the time, right? Especially if you have a job that just high level of stress then you never get a time to like wind yourself down. Yeah, I so. feel like, yeah, in life sometimes you can just always be surrounded by noise. And mm. Jack can definitely attest to this for me. When I eat, I really like to eat in silence because I feel like, especially during uni, like I was just constantly surrounded by noise and eating was like the one time, well, four time of day. But <laughs> You know, that time of day when you really just get to chill out and relax and enjoy a meal and just like be in peace and quiet. I found that almost as if it was like meditation. So mm. like, yeah, sometimes like Alan said, if, whether it's a float tank or just being in the quiet, like it's sometimes it's just really, really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, it's reading. I always read for half an hour before sleeping and that if I don't read before sleep, then that really impacts my ability to get to sleep as well. So, because I guess reading, you don't really think about anything else when you read. You're, if it's, I guess if it's a good book or mm-hmm. depends what you're reading, either if it's educational or um, fiction, then you should be absorbed by that and not dwelling on other things that might stress you out or that you might be thinking too much of before you sleep so or what i found really nice sometimes that helps me get to sleep is i put my phone away but then i might stretch for a few minutes and sometimes just stretching can be very very relaxing yeah that's nice to do before sleep with uh i guess the uh the question of libido now it's very interesting topic but i will say like you know, it's really hard to know how it's going to change because so it's, you know, where your starting point is, uh, whether it's a normal range or not, some people are going to be higher than the others. But I can, I think we can all agree that it will go down. Yeah. I've you never imagine. I've never heard of a bodybuilder who's had full libido at the then, end and of then, the then, Like, and, then, and I suppose it's all in comparison. Or, or their right? girlfriend saying yeah. they're full yeah. libido. And, <laughs> I think it's something where, like, I, I remember going into it and was like, oh, I won't, there's no way I'll lose my libido. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, that's right. How is that possible? You're kidding me. <laughs> but, like, it, it really does happen and it sort of just creeps up on you throughout. And, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I guess there's also the psychological effect that it comes from mm. because you are, again, you know, you'd be so consumed by the one thing that you focus on, which is getting ready for the prep, and then you sleep deprived and everything else. The last thing you want to do is probably. You know, yeah. Yeah. Sex, so. I'm trying to conserve some <laughs> yeah. energy here. Yeah. But like, I mean, like physiologically, physiologically speaking, like obviously, you know, we know that you know certain hormones down regulates, like testosterone yeah. is one of that. That mm. will obviously again, it's the, I guess the response into like to help try and tell you to like, hey, 
put some body fat back on. Yeah. You know, yeah. and everything. And, and I think for most people, once you uh, post come, once you bring you a body, put some body fat back on, eat your food back up, and relatively maintaining that. And like obviously, there's other other variables that could come into that as mm-hmm. well. Stress is one thing. Uh, like you know that could you know your psychology uh, can affect your can affect your physiology, right? Um, so that also is another factor. So, but we can definitely say it will most likely go down. Uh, but if you are in a healthy level to begin with, you I guess prep in a sensible sensible manner. Uh, you can probably minimize the unnecessary level of mm-hmm. you know drop. But yeah. yeah, I'm gonna say it is. Mm. unfortunately you will drop so yeah but i I heard um i was listening to one of aj morris's podcasts like a few weeks ago and he made a point that he's like my girlfriend understands that the purpose of my prep is not to maintain my libido like that's not why i'm going through prep yeah well i mean when you put it that way like like we spoke about at the beginning right because Mm -hmm. your body's natural response because it doesn't Mm -hmm. care it's like when the first thing they try to do is try to make make you put some uh, body fat back on to increase mm. energy source. The last thing they wants to do is to yeah. It's almost punishing you, know? you. It's like I shall reward you when you feed me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is the final question before we'll touch on the post competition mm. period. So opinions on keeping in heavy taxing compounds, for example, deadlifts weeks out from comp. Mm. Okay, uh, I'll go. Um, it depends, but I would definitely like let's take deadlift for example, and it's there's something that I'll be doing as well. I will usually try to keep the most of the main com- compound movements uh, in the program, but I think you know it makes sense that to adjust certain exercise depending on your recovery capability, yeah. and also gauge everything on the whole program and see everything that you're doing, and obviously minimize the risk of injury. Because at the end of the day, I suppose you know we need to get the whole purpose of prep is to maintain as much lean tissue as possible, right? And uh, lose as much body fat as possible. So, uh, and obviously as in the process of doing that, it is expected that you're gonna lose some, you're gonna drop some body weight and you're probably gonna get thinner. So certain exercises are going to be affected as far as the strength drop and things like that. For example, uh, chest pressing. Now, when you are well-fed in uh, improvement season, you're probably gonna press, let's say 10 centimeter is a range of motion mm-hmm. appropriate for you. Lose 10 kilos down, now you're pressing like 14, 15 centimeters yeah. or something like that, right? That changes your strength and then because now you expect to, like you can't expect to press the same amount of weight uh, for a longer distance while you're lighter as well. Yeah. So that's something that I do, I guess probably something that we touch up on, uh, I guess during prep like um, portion as well is that I would change the exercise selection throughout the prep. I will tend to choose, and I will say that this is something that I only started implementing, I'll say in the last uh, year or so to now, and, and, and it makes sense to me, right? Because obviously, ultimately, we just want to get the muscular stimulus to uh, under target muscle groups, right? So for example, let's take over press. For example, at the start of prep, you know, it just you still, you know, at a heavy body weight, you have to, you know, greater leverage and everything. You can probably perform that pretty well, pretty consistently. Um, but then, as you get lean and everything else, it requires more stability, right? Uh, stability, sorry. So then, it's like it's so hard to maintain that because you're spending so much energy just by trying to stay in that position and mm-hmm. to press overhead. So now it becomes like, well. Is it really worth it to keep that exercise in? Because I'm not really getting the most out of muscular stimulus out of that. 
So I'll change to like a seated barbell shoulder press when I notice that there's a consecutive weeks of like strength drop or just a bit hit and miss there of a certain lifts. I'll look at alternative options. So, and then I'll do city barbell press and then for a period of time when that becomes like the range of motion increases and becomes like, well, so much harder to maintain that, then I'll change to maybe like a Smith machine shoulder press or like a um, some plate loading machine or any machine that you like or even dumbbell as well, whatever that you actually can still press and get the most out of what you're trying to achieve, which is obviously creating this, that stimulus. So I'll definitely, obviously this also changes depending on person, right? You know, uh, your leverage and things like that. For example, for myself, and I can actually maintain my deadlifts fairly well throughout the whole prep. Yeah, we've seen yeah, and <laughs> 230 if, yeah, for reps. <laughs> if, like if anything, it's actually probably, I feel like at a certain body where I can actually perform better than mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm heavier. Uh, but obviously there's other factors come into play as well. But I will definitely, this time around, I will actually take that one out because it does take away a lot of your recovery capabilities. So you have to look at like, okay, is it worth it to keep the deadlift? Because ultimately I'm just trying to maintain lean tissue, right? And yeah. you know, for a particular body part, so I can probably do like some sort of variations like Romanians, and we talk about this as well, or mm. you know, even trap bar deadlift, uh, rack pulls or any sort of variation for that posterior loading. Um, and squats, why you can know, for, for example, you can keep your front, front squat at the start of the prep, but you get lighter, you know, you struggle to keep the weight up, but your legs can do the work. You can switch to like a front squat or something that's quite dominant. Uh, so you can still get the stimulus on the cross that you want and get the required volume to mm. maintain the lean tissue. So mm. I'll definitely say, yeah, I will probably look at changing if it is impacting you. Uh, recovery wise and also if there's any sort of strength dropping whatever so yeah again and that's why it's so important to stay in close contact with your clients and not only looking at data on spreadsheets but actually talking to them like hey how's it going how's this exercise actually feeling for Mm. you you know and then they can actually let you know like i'm really struggling with standing ohp and Mm. then you're like all right let's switch that around i think that was a really good example And like, I will be the first person to say like, you know, I have been that person that like being so married to a certain exercise, like I have to describe benching that. Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to, because you know, I guess that the mentality of I want to lift heavy certain amount of weight, mm-hmm. but you know, at the end of the day, that's not going to achieve a- anything. Obviously we still want to, you know, be able to, being able to maintain strength and performance super important, right? But at the same time, you need to look at like the bigger picture of like, what am I trying to achieve ultimately? So if, if this is not going to give me the outcome that I want, but keep trying to uh, do the exercise, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I completely agree. And like for especially something like switching out a like a front squat or back squat for a hack squat, like like coming up to a, having to do heavy uh, back squats at the back end of a prep is like very for some people is very very difficult, especially if you have more unfavorable biomechanics. Mm-hmm. And so switching it to like a hack squat, like it'll it might not sound as hardcore, but it, it'll definitely benefit you. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Okay, guys, so we're actually going to finish up on two more questions which are related, and then we're going to probably do another episode about the post-comp prep period because we're already we're already at an hour and 20 minutes, so we thought we would do a separate episode about the post-comp prep period because we don't want to skimp on that because there's a lot of good information for that. So the, the question is by Emily Warren, and there's also another one that's related. How do you know when to decrease macros slash add cardio if, not, if weight is not trending down? And then the other question is, how do you know when to either increase cardio as opposed to decreasing uh, macros? Mm. Very, very good question. And it's going to be, 
I don't want to do this, but I, I think it's going to be one of those, it depends. And I think that's a lot of the question because it's so hard to speak absolute because there's so many contexts in that. Like, for example, weight isn't trending down. Like, straight up, male and female, there's going to be some differences there. So sometimes female may not see weight changes for up to few weeks at a time you know yeah body weight those, stalls yeah, yeah and right and and I'll be, that but you know, that's through the hormone regulation through the mm-hmm. menstrual cycle right so um so yeah i was and then obviously for guys it can be a little bit linear but again you know depending on if you have like if you're not really monitoring your sodium intake or if you have high levels change out the foods all the time that could potentially impact that you might be holding a little bit more fluid so weight is a tough one but i'll say you know if you are monitoring your food intake like accurately so all the information data is, is correct you're monitoring your output correctly and you, you also obviously monitor your body composition and weight so you know this could be the time that you can use something like a skin force to see okay mm. whether the body fat's coming down and make some calculated calculated decision on whether you need to um drop from a food mm-hmm. or not or increase your output or not or i will usually tend I, i'm of the opinion that i tend to whenever i make a change uh, I tend to let it sit for at least two weeks. Mm-hmm. Still, just I, I think that's at, at least two to three weeks to actually see some response average all the time. Because, like I said, you know, go back to the part where if you lead into prep, you should have like a maintenance phase or something, so you know exactly that's what's happening now. Then you know if I make some certain adjustments, I should be expecting certain mm. responses. Then mm-hmm. from there, you can just repeat it in the process. But there's definitely times where, you know, you can be a little little bit confused. Like, scale doesn't drop, but I feel leaner, mm. or things like that. Then you can, then you, then I would say, then you look at, like, other variables. Yeah. How's your sleeping? Mm-hmm. If you didn't sleep, like, for, you know, good for a few days in a row, or if your wake-up time is different, or if you ate really late the night before, all those things impact on your, the numbers on the scale, right? Up, and it's going to fluctuate on a daily basis. So, average over time and monitor as many data as possible. That's going to be a number one thing to help you make that decision. But I think it's really hard to say, like, you have to. But I would say if you stole, like, multiple weeks in a row, then you need to probably, okay, I need to probably make some adjustments. But like, but then again, you know, don't just make, drop more food just because that's the, what you think you should yeah, do. Exactly. But, you know, and I think a lot of people that obviously, you know, uh, do flexible dieting or track their food and things like that is that, you know, there's a lot of inaccuracy in tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, mo- monitor... Uh, all the variables that you have control of and see whether there's some discrepancy there and then just uh, one by one take it off and then say okay I think I need to put more food out yeah. and as far as cardio wise um, now this is a little bit harder one to answer because okay my opinion on cardio is probably a little bit different to a lot of people um, is that a lot of people look at cardio as just the means to burn calories but I look at cardio as cardiovascular training. And this is something that I have learned and adapted from Broderick, uh, Broderick Chavez, and, you know, uh, obviously the guy, Dean, and, and a lot of good mentors of mine. That cardiovascular training, uh, it, I think, is serve a different purpose. And it, that's, that actually has purpose in that, like, obviously, not only to improve your overall fitness, overall conditioning, uh, your ability to recover, even just for your general health. But a lot of people, obviously, you know, bodybuilders typically just look at cardio as the means to burn calories. Like, obviously, you, you are burning calories because you're exercising. Um, but I think the main goal is that, you know, don't just... Because there's many ways to achieve that. For example, I think most people, if you just monitor your daily activity level, 
because ultimately that's what most people do it for, right? To burn more calories. But if you're not monitoring, monitoring your steps, for example, or daily activity, which you should need, uh, then you can do 40 minutes of cardio, but then you do nothing for the rest of the day. Then mm-hmm. you compensate each other. So it's like you're not really achieving anything there. But if you monitor your daily activity level, at least you know like, okay, this is how, many, how much activity I'm doing at the moment. That's another data available to you that you can monitor. And then if you wish to, I think for some people, for example, if your lifestyle or for whatever reason that um, you, you would rather burn calories to cardio, you can definitely do that as long as you have a mean, like ways to measure that, then you can make that decision on that. So yeah, it, it's a bit hard, harder to have a definite answer on when you should, but I, I guess, you know, uh, whenever you want to make a decision like like that, look at the whole picture and then see, and then look at like, what is it that I'm trying to achieve mm. and then work it backwards. So would yeah. you ask um, a client, would you say, hey, we're going to need to make a change here so mm. that, you know, we can keep pushing body weight down. Mm. Would you rather increase daily expenditure through perhaps structured cardio? Yeah. Or would you rather have a decrease in 50 grams of carbs? Like, would you give them a choice? I would, because the way I structure prep, I would typically favor, and this I would say the possible for most people, mm-hmm. uh, so far I would favor just pulling food down and yeah. just keeping daily activity level the same. Mm-hmm. Increase the training intensity, like obviously weight training doesn't burn that much calories. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but like for some people, there might be some extreme cases where someone who, you know, who works a job that's sitting down all day, that you might, and then time-wise, you might just have to allocate some uh, cardiovascular training to yeah. help them get the required calorie, right? And I will say for female as well. Whereas if you are a small female already starting with the, because you can't expect to eat like higher amount of food than someone who's mm-hmm. 20, 30 kilos than you. Mm-hmm. So if you're really like, for example, 40, 50 kilos or 50, 60 kilos and you're on like 1500 or, or less or whatever calories, um, then it would probably make sense to increase your expenditure a little bit as opposed to pulling more food out mm-hmm. because then, you know, because you already had little to work with right yeah. uh and provided because you also have to look after your micronutrients and thing, everything like that so you still have to get in decent amount of calories from those things to you know essential mm-hmm. fatty acids and things like that so it's probably not ideal to constantly putting more food out uh, so that would be the case where you can actually increase your uh calorie expenditure through like mm. even just your uh, steps or uh, actual allocated cardiovascular training to achieve the same outcome and well so I think a bit of a I guess case dependent and you know depending on the situation uh, but I think for the most part you can probably make some food adjustments and later on if you don't think uh, you wanna you can afford to put more food out or whatever then mm-hmm. you can probably increase your expenditure yeah, yeah I would completely agree and I certainly do think it's case dependent as well and if on the flip side, Alan touched on someone, you know, who has quite a sedentary job, but even if you had someone who had a very active job, like a construction worker, mm. and let's say they were averaging 20,000 mm. steps a day, you know, but they were in prep, I would very, I would be, um, I would advocate for decreasing food compared to increasing mm. their expenditure mm. because one, increasing steps past 20,000 a day, that's pretty nuts. And also on like daily cardio on top of that also considering that they need to do their mm. resistance training sessions too mm. like i think that doing extra activity already in a deficit it would really start to impede mm. on their training performance as well 
that's I was literally about to say that like you know that's one of the things that when you do more hours and hours and hours of cardio, it's gonna somehow yeah. have an impact on your yeah you gotta lift weights to too <laughs> and, uh, yeah your your performance which is your, which is your primary mm. uh, objective which is to maintain performance maintain lean tissue as much as you can so when you if you are starting doing way more cardio than you are doing weight training. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like you know, a runner you know, or a bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of become like a weight loss. I'm running yeah. to the stage, man. Yeah, that's kind of like a weight loss contest now. Yeah. That actually yeah, exactly, yeah. contest, right? Yeah. What I and what I usually say to clients is like, say if we, because a lot of a lot of it's very common for people to think like, oh, it's a diet. We got to start the cardio right now. But like, what I usually say is, if we start with a load of cardio and we start with relatively moderate to low food, then where do you go from there? You don't have it. You can't keep adding cardio and decreasing calories. So like cardio should really be used as a tool towards the end of prep where if you really need it, then we can increase your expenditure mm. as opposed to if your calories are already very low, then yeah. yeah. That's, sorry, uh, that's a, such an important point. A lot of people, that's why we advocate like, you know, obviously making people uh, wear like fitness trackers or mm. active watches so you can monitor your uh, neat your yeah. steps by via steps right because towards it back in the prep and that's we hear this lights like uh people say oh i'm doing hours and hours of cardio or they're adding more cardio on top but they're not seeing the results because you spend so much time in the gym exercising but you then you do nothing for the rest of the day mm. so you're literally compensating each like mm-hmm. you know so you're not actually getting the uh, energy deficit required whereas if you can monitor your activity level at least that's one variable that you tick off and obviously we know that as you get leaner into prep it's so much easier to like because obviously you're gonna feel tired all the time right or for a lot of times where you just even unconsciously you know you you blink less frequently and mm-hmm. vision less and things heart, like that like so, resting heart rate goes yeah. down your respiratory rate mm. goes down yeah so all these things like obviously to make you burn less energy yeah. like your body's natural response to active dieting um, so yeah, so it's very important that you actually monitor that so that at least you know that's one variable that can have mm. a massive impact, yeah, for most people. Yeah, mm. for sure. All right. I'm actually so, really impressed with Alan's neat this episode. Like he's Yeah, I've noticed <laughs> that too. Alan's been fidgeting and I'm like, Oh man, you're like nine weeks out. This is actually a good sign. <laughs> All right, so guys, I think that's actually a pretty good way to wrap up this episode. I know that we are at close to an hour and a half now, and I really thank anyone who's stuck by this yeah. long. Hopefully you really enjoyed the chat. But before we head off, Alan, where can people find you and where can they keep up to date with your prep? Yeah, awesome. Uh, you can find me through my Instagram, although like I, I, I'm probably not as active as I should be on there. Uh, so I need to definitely do a better job with that. So it's uh, on Instagram, it's LML90. Mm-hmm. So eight, yeah. You can spell that. <laughs> and then also... <laughs> well, we'll link it in the bio. Yeah, obviously through Flex Success, that's the business that I work for, uh, the Instagram page or Facebook page as well. So Sweet. Cool. All right, so guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Alan, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys. <laughs>